Hello. I'm Kenna. And I'm Koel. Welcome back to Diagnosing a Killer. You can say welcome back. Welcome back. So welcome back. We are back for another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. <sighs> and if you haven't noticed, we're really weird. I should have brought water in here. Do you want me to go get you water? No. Yes, you do. I can. No, see it's by okay. Your face. I'll just. I can text John. It's all right. Anyways, hi. I'm excited to do this episode. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear it. I'm. Yeah. I I, I know that everyone kind of got like my take on like the way that I do research, and so mm-hmm. now I'm excited for them to hear you, and we're gonna see the differences and similarities. Let's get into it. Let's get right on in. So. I decided to research a little lady by the name of Kristen Gilbert. A little old lady. And she's not an old lady. I know. But <laughs> you'll you'll learn that like her career is um, very early on in her life. Okay. So Kristen Heather Strickland was born November 13th, 1967 in Fall River, Massachusetts. I think I know this case. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Kristen was the daughter of Richard and Claudia Strickland, and she had one younger sister who was seven years younger than her, and her name was Tara. Richard was an electronics executive, which I don't really know what that means. Like, hmm. did he work for a Radio Shack, or did he work for, like, Microsoft. A, yeah, Microsoft. Like, I don't really know. I didn't, I didn't research the parents. They're just not my subject. Yeah. So, um, and Claudia was a homemaker, and she was a part-time substitute teacher. Oh, good for her. Yeah. We love a teacher. Teachers we love are, a teacher. We, yeah. They're the backbone of the education system, of course. <laughs> they're the frontline workers of the yep. education system. <laughs> that was silly of me to say. <laughs> so when Kristen was about to start high school, the family had actually moved to Groton, Massachusetts. Okay. And, f- like, literally every single account of Kristen in high school said that she was super bright and she had an amazing IQ and she was just incredibly intelligent. Okay. Unfortunately, that can be used for bad. <laughs> yeah. So Kristen uh, had also expressed throughout her life that she felt like her parents were really cold and distant. And even in later testimony, if you will, she had said that her dad had favored her younger sister, like, way beyond her. At least that's how she felt. Not an excuse, but okay. No, and I, I mean, <laughs> I get that it's like... A seven-year difference, and you're seven, and there's this baby, you know, and the baby is going to be a baby for at least three or four years, and by that point, you're in your early teens, and, you know. So when you were seven, did you think that way about me? No, because I had Cameron. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, because we're, like, eight years apart. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I mean, I guess I get it, so, but you'll see that this, this need for attention becomes a pattern, right? Yeah. So by the time Kristen was in high school, she had started her career in lying. She was described as a pathological liar. Did she get paid for that? No, (laughs) I hope. I would hope. I mean, I would hope nobody gets paid to be a liar. Well, I don't know. Who would get paid to be a liar? Fucking defense attorneys. Oh, that's true. (laughs) That's so true. Or an international international spy. You know, like a liar. You know, like a liar. So she was also known to be a thief. Oh, and defense attorney. No, I'm <laughs> defense attorney. 
Notably, one of her classmates had accused Kristen of going into her closet once when she was at this girl's house. Oh, my God. Taking a top of hers, then wearing it at school. Oh. And when the girl confronted her about her wearing the top, she basically called the girl crazy. And she was like, no, this is my top. Okay, literally, Cameron did that to me one time, I swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) These are not the droids you're looking for. (laughs) She didn't try to convince me that it wasn't my top, but she definitely lied about it. (laughs) For a while, and I was like, bro, she, I don't know. It was just in my closet. I don't know how it got I don't there. know. Like, it's like somebody must have left it here. I don't know. I'm like, I'm locking my fucking door. Leave. Yeah. But yeah, she called this girl crazy and it claimed that the blouse was hers. That's gaslighting at its finest. Right? And they're just like, <laughs> but that girl's like, am I crazy? Yeah. Like, maybe she has the same top. She as just, me. she looks so genuine when she says, oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. So, around the same time, she had been telling classmates that her mother was physically abusive and was an alcoholic. And family would later say that that was complete bullshit. Oh, my God. That's terrible. When you're fabricating, like, abuse, that's... You gotta be mentally skewed. Right. Like, straight up just fabricated this for attention. That's awful. So people would pay attention to her, feel badly for her. Yeah. Kristen was a very attractive young girl, and so she was never ever short of boyfriends. Mm -hmm. But according to many of her boyfriends, when they would get into fights or disagreements or whatever, she would regularly throw temper tantrums and be physically abusive towards them. Like, would scratch them and shit. How old was she at this time? This is in high school. She's probably, like, 15, 16 I was going to say, this sounds like teenage behavior, like, underdeveloped frontal lobe behavior. In my mind, it's probably, like, 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Because this is all all high school, right? But still... Even if it's teenage behavior, that's kind of... I feel like it's a little Outside excessive. of the realm of, you know, yeah, like, common. Yeah. And, and like you said, like, hormones are ablazing, you yeah. know? People get into fights. People lie. So she developed this habit of lying, um, and it this habit of lying, especially to her boyfriend, started to develop in false... Like, false suicide attempts is basically... Oh like, she God. would falsify her trying to commit suicide. That's, like... Literally the worst thing that you can do right. to, like, someone else's mental health. Yeah. She also started making up lies about herself to make herself, like, seem more interesting, I guess, to people. Oh, and like she's been to Paris before. Yeah, like. things like that. But one of the most notable ones is that she said that she was a distant relative from Lizzie Borden. Oh, my God. The okay, axe murderer. so, yeah, I'm like, she's all... Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was in the same hometown. So, remember, she had moved to Groton, which was a different yeah. town altogether. So, really, in this other town, nobody's going to know whether or not that's true. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm from there. Oh, really? Lizzie Borden's from there. Yeah, we're related. Okay. You know who else <laughs> you know? is, like, a lot of other people have been born there. That's, like, us trying to say that we're related to, like, Tony Parker. Or Selena. <laughs> yeah, or Selena. <laughs> I'm going to say that when I... I'm when, sorry. If Tony I... Parker was not born here. <laughs> yeah, no, he's French. <laughs> He's totally French. Well, we went to Paris, so there you well, go. Well, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I, when next time I go overseas, which is probably yeah. never, but <laughs> next right. time I go overseas, I'm definitely going to be like, oh, I'm totally related to Eva Longoria. Yeah. Straight up. Seriously. And Selena. And Selena. Yeah. So clearly around this time, she's exhibiting a lot of neurotic behaviors, mm-hmm. and she was labeled strange by most of her classmates. Wow, that's right? terrible. <laughs> Either way, again, she's very bright. Kristen ends up graduating a year and a half earlier than her peers with honors okay. at age 16. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Right. Honestly, though, that kind of sucks because, like, I was one of the youngest people in my class, and they mm-hmm. wanted to... They actually offered for me to skip a grade in, like, elementary school. And yeah. mom and dad were like, no, like, she's Hell already no. so much younger than everyone else, yeah. like, and her peers and stuff. Like, and I'm glad that they said no, because mm-hmm. graduating at 16 would have been, I feel like, 
for me at least like yeah uncomfortable and I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have felt like I was ready to be out in like the world and then the next step is college yeah so it's like at 17 at 16 17 years old I didn't go to college I was 19 how would you do that like I don't yeah so that's exactly what Kristen did she went to college (laughs) right after high school after she graduated in 1984 and she applied to Bridgewater State University in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Okay. She was pursuing pre-med classes with a focus on becoming a registered nurse. Okay. So throughout this time, of course, a very bright and attractive Kristen, again, was never short of boyfriends. However, her behaviors towards them to garner more attention and control over her partners only got way more serious. Oh, my gosh. So a few years into college, in 1986, she was dating a fellow student. And he attempted to break up with her. And she hand-wrote a note and left it on the boyfriend's doorstep, claiming that she had swallowed glass in an attempt to kill herself. Okay, ouch. And also, like, what... What? Like, what did the note entail? I swallowed a bunch of glass and then... Come find me. Like, <laughs> and then wrote a note while my esophagus is bleeding. Yeah. And then left it on the guy's doors. No. Like, that, come on. That's very far Yeah. She claimed that she swallowed glass. So clearly, um, this was a problem. <laughs> the threat was actually taken so seriously that the college themselves told her that if she wanted to continue going there and continuing classes there, she had to seek psychiatric treatment. Well, good. Good for them. That's exactly what you should do. And it was clearly she's mentally ill. Right. And it's not just this boyfriend's account, but several other people, girls that were friends of his or any other boyfriend that she dated. It was, she She was was disruptive. Yeah. Like a lot of people had the same mind. Right. So this was after some time. So clearly this was for the safety of everyone and for Kristen's safety. Honestly, the college was really concerned. Kristen did not, however, attend these treatments. Shocker. Yeah. In the same year, in 1986, she met a man by the name of Glenn Gilbert in his hometown of Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. So okay. I guess she was on vacation because yeah. it's only like, it's probably about like a two and a half hour drive. So the couple uh, decided to live separately for the time being, and they were in a long distance relationship while he stayed in New Hampshire and she was attending college. Mm-hmm. Well, not at this time. <laughs> she wasn't attending college. So at this time, she had started working as an at-home health aide. Okay. And I only found, like, a few accounts of these, but it didn't really give me any more specifics than, other than, at some point during her employment, she was responsible for watching a disabled young boy. Mm -hmm. And while she was supposed to be watching the boy, she was going to give him a bath, and he was scalded from a very hot bath basically from the water oh my gosh he was burned over 60 percent of his body she just threw his ass in there when it was scalding hot so what's interesting is that she claimed that it was an accident but the tub itself is actually for disabled people where it's like a very specific setting that's set it's in order for like in case somebody falls on it or whatever it doesn't change the temperature so you would deliberately have to change the temperature of this bathtub in order for that to happen and do you know what kind of disability this boy had? Like, was he paralyzed? It didn't or, specify. Because it almost sounds like he couldn't maybe physically lift himself into the out, tub and she, like, in and put out. him in yes. there. Well, that's exactly what it was. She put him in there. Yeah. Okay, that's awful. hmm Yeah, and that's why they're saying, like, it had to have been deliberate because she had to have manipulated yeah. the water. Oh, my God, that's so yeah. sad. So he was, like I said, burned over 60% of his body, and the parents of the boy did file a formal complaint with Kristen's superior, mm-hmm. but no charges were ever filed. Damn. And at this point, this is unclear of whether or not this is her first attempt at garnering attention through 
the means of harming someone else. This is like Munchausen by proxy almost, it sounds like. Yeah, which is is interesting in itself because I don't think she was ever diagnosed with that. And I, I Munchausen by proxy, I know like you can make yourself sick. No, Munch, that's Munchausen, regular. Right. By proxy is when you by do it By proxy is when you do it to someone else. And usually it's like a parent to a child. Yes, but it also includes caretakers, like a, yeah. par- like a, a parent or a child to their elderly parent right. or a caretaker or, or a yeah. spouse, you know. For sure. Yeah. That sounds like Munchausen. Yeah. What she eventually does is not Munchausen, though. Yes. Because I feel like you can, in Munchausen syndrome by proxy that you hurt someone else, but you don't intend to kill that person. No, of course. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like um, gradual. Like you yeah. start off with like little things, like petty things, and then you take care of it. And then you do another thing and then you take care of right. it. Right. That's why I said it almost sounds like it, but it also almost sounds like attempted murder. Yeah. So... We'll both judge at the end of this of whether or not we think it's yeah. Munchausen. Well, um, but I can tell you right now, Krista was never diagnosed with that. I was going to say, I think I do know this case, and I'm pretty sure I'm leaning towards murder and attempted murder, not Munchausen. <laughs> yeah. So Kristen decided that eventually she did want to go back to college, but again, she couldn't attend Bridgewater because otherwise she would have to attend psychiatric treatment, which Ooh, she did not. God forbid. So she transferred to Mount Wachusett Community College in Gard- Gardner, Massachusetts. So she literally downgraded colleges because she didn't want to get self-help or yeah. like, th- like therapy. Mm-hmm. She wow. didn't want to admit that she had a problem, I how guess. How stubborn. Wow. Yeah. How narcissistic. So this is where she continued her studies uh, into becoming a nurse. Mm-hmm. She spent one year at Wachusett, and then she transferred again to Greenfield Community College while maintaining her relationship with Glenn. Okay. Again, long distance. So Chris- Kristen graduated with a license in nursing in 1988. So this was within two, e- two years. Okay. Well, so four years from when she started, but within two years of her going back to school. Kristen graduated with a license in nursing in 1988. So again, this is four years after she left high school. And that same year... Her and Glenn eloped, and then they moved to Northampton, New Hampshire, okay. which was closer to where he was. Yeah. So on the, although not much is documented around the time that the couple were in the relationship, it's re- there's really not a lot that was actually said or documented. I'm sure stuff was said in the trial. Yeah. But um, there was one incident very early on in their marriage where Kristen actually chased Glenn around the house wielding a knife. Come again? <laughs> yeah i don't know like it like escalated Mike to Myers the point type yeah, shit it escalated to the point to where she chased him around yeah that's with a knife terrifying he actually had to lock himself in another room until she calmed down enough to put the knife down what the what what is that about what happened oh my god i don't know and again this is all testimony that he would give much later well, he never he, reported it to police did he stay with her after that he did yeah. Glenn is one of those people that believes in the sanctity of marriage so much that he would stay with his wife even, even after she threatens him. Even if it kills him. <laughs> Till death do us part. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely uh, stayed together. Jeez. So, and this, again, this is only probably within the first, like, two months of their marriage. Wow. Yeah. This is going to be a long ride for you, <laughs> Glenn. So within the year of her graduating, Kristen ended up finding work at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Northampton. Okay. So in their home, where they're living. Yeah. So coworkers described her as a very committed and highly skillful nurse. She never forgot a coworker's birthday and was always in a cheerful mood. She probably had a calendar. Like, that was there with everyone's <laughs> birthday on it. Everyone Facebook. had calendars. She's the one that wrote them down. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> 
So she would organize uh, gift exchanges every Christmas for disadvantaged families. Okay. And in 1990, she was actually featured in an article of a magazine called VA Practitioner in the April edition. So they actually wrote an article about her. It seems like she really likes to be the center of attention. And oh, she yeah. really wants everyone to think that she's just this great person. She's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that also plays into why she moved around so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, she went to three different colleges in four out years. The city and <laughs> she's yeah. like, yeah, they don't like me anymore. Gotta exactly. go. Exactly. Or people are, like, getting too close, maybe. Yeah. You know? So later that same year, in 1990, the couple gave birth to their first child, a boy. Okay. They had a boy. She had some time with her new family during her maternity leave. And then when she returned, she insisted on being switched to the late night shift, which is... Not overnight, but it's 4 p.m. to 11 That sounds a little odd when you have a newborn-ish. Newborn-ish. Yeah, I mean, I I think we'll see why she did it, but... Well, I know why she did it, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> for everyone else's, like, I would be like, are you sure? Like, you're a new mom, like, you don't... Your husband doesn't need help, like, getting the baby to bed and stuff like that? Well, I don't know? know. You know, at this time, we also don't know if Glenn works during the day. That's so true. it's a little easier for her to maybe find a sitter for an hour or That's something. True. So it was around this time that it was actually kind of suspicious, the death rates in the facility started to spike. Huh. Particularly in cardiac arrests or heart attacks. Let me guess. From four to midnight? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. People started to take notice that patients seemed to die under Kristen's care more than any other caregiver. And sometimes as much as double the amount of people would die on her shift than anyone else's in a 24-hour span. What? And she's just like, whoops, like, what is her explanation for all this? (laughs) She doesn't have one. So, recollecting some of these emergency events, coworkers had said that Kristen was always calm and in control in any situation at hand. Okay. But maybe she's just a really good nurse, right? Of course. So, some coworkers jokingly gave her the moniker of the Angel of Death. Yep, there it is. There's that infamous (laughs) nickname. (laughs) Since people always seem to die under her car, under her care, like regardless of the situation, Mm -hmm. and maybe she was just really unlucky. Yeah. And so again, everybody was just like, "Oh, look, there goes the angel of death." (laughs) So funny. So hilarious that she's on her way to kill somebody else. So I think maybe like because things like that happen where if people find something about someone that they don't really particularly like, they choose to talk about it. And I think it's more of, like, a thing that we do. We become desensitized to that one thing we don't like about that person by always bringing it up. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm kind of saying? Like, it bothered them, but they didn't want to accuse her of killing people, because that's ridiculous, but it bothered them. So they made up a joking nickname, you know? Yeah. Just to kind of be like, oh, ha-ha. Ha-ha. We're on to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> or, or are we? Or are we? Yeah. <laughs> so in 1993, Kristen and Glenn welcomed their second child, another boy. Okay. And after Kristen's return to work, she had started spending time with a security officer who was working at the medical center. Oh, no. His name was James Perrault. And his shifts were actually from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Convenient. Convenient. And since Kristen and James had had similar shifts, oftentimes Kristen and her coworkers would go out for drinks, and James would be there as well, because yeah. they're all going together. Which is not unusual in it right. itself. Whatever. We're yeah. all just, you know, coworkers hanging out. Right. I had the sneaking suspicion that she knew that James worked those shifts, and maybe she thought he was attractive. So, so by the time she had her, her first... Yeah. That's what I think. Oh. I was thinking that she switched her si- shifts so that she could, like 
kind of fly under the radar with yeah. these patients' deaths. Maybe? Right. I mean, I don't know exactly what she what her plan was, but of course you speculating do. Speculating here. <laughs> speculating. That's all we're doing right now is speculating. So typically, when there's emergencies. Um, security was also called to assist because they're trained EMSs as well. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So every, almost every single time there was a call, James would also be called, right? Damsel in distress. Get what I'm getting at? This gave James an opportunity to watch Kristen as well during her little moments of heroism. Mm -hmm. But she, he probably thought she sucked because all these people kept dying. (laughs) He's like, yeah, you don't know how to do CPR. he, He told friends and family that he was really impressed by her. Yeah. He's like, oh my gosh, this superstar of a nurse, like, she just rushes in and just happens to know, like, exactly what's going on with these patients and how to run a room. You're right? <laughs> you can't hear me on the microphone. I could a little bit. No one else will be able to hear that. So, of course, this falls into Kristen's already already obsessed mind with attention, right? Oh, like, yeah. Just, her oh love God. for attention, especially male attention. And I'm sure he's, like, doting over her, like... In front of her as well, yeah. like, to her, you know, yeah. not just, like, to his family. So eventually, we all know where this is going. The two begin an affair. Mm. He does, rec- uh, James recalls one night where he would walk her to her car and they would kiss. And so that's where it started, mm-hmm. is that he walked her to her car, they kissed, and they would do that routinely. <sighs> it's not, like, it's frustrating because it's not only that, like, she's taking it upon herself to cheat on her husband, but, right. like, he... Definitely probably knows she's married and has two children. Well, you would think, right? Maybe. I mean, I hope he doesn't because that makes me feel a little bit worse for Mm -hmm. him. But if he knew that I'm like, "Mm, right, we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. So pretty much since that moment, Kristen especially would find no lost opportunity to take James into closets, patients rooms. No. Even while they were in there. On call rooms. On call rooms. (laughs) Crazy. Wherever they could find a location within the hospital. Pretty much. Oh, my God. Isn't that, like, a conflict of interest? Can they, can't they, like, not do that? I don't know. I mean, I don't... Maybe... Okay. No, you know what it is? I think Clearly it's, like, Clearly, they think it's like... funny that she, like, <laughs> is killing people. Not killing yeah. people, but that people are dying around her. They think it's funny enough, right? A nurse said that one time there was a code that was called, and James came in first, and he started doing CPR on this guy, right? And... Kristen was standing by and was like, oh, my God, you look so strong right now. (laughs) I want to throw up. I got to go. I'm serious. And she's like, look at your muscles. Oh, my God, your muscles. Someone is actively Actively dying. dying. And she's like grabbing his arms. Like, look at your muscles. No, she's not. I'm not even kidding. She didn't grab the arms. (laughs) Not even kidding. She was like, you're so strong. Yeah. Not the time to pop a boner over here. Someone's having Not a even. fucking cardiac infarction. So another time. So this, of course, like Kristen herself starts to change through this affair, right? She starts wearing more makeup. She starts dressing a little bit more scantily clad at work. Like she's changing from this almost soccer mom to this like vixen, right? Like, so being a, like you're not supposed to be sexy at work. I'm well, sorry, unless you like a porn star. But she something. wants the attention, right? Like she's getting any it, attention. Though. So another time, a doctor actually recounted that like the situation where another patient was coding, and James was already in the room doing whatever, but not CPR. Okay. Kristen comes in, hops on top of the man that is coding straddling him Mm -hmm. to perform CPR. And as she's doing it, she 
says something to denote that she's wearing a garter on her thigh. You know, like when you're married or like when you're in a porno as a nurse. Yeah. Not an actual nurse. What? What? Okay, the only time you should ever get on top of somebody and shadow them and doing when you're to do CPR is when they're actively being transported to the operating no, room. No, she was yeah, he That's was in I'm a hospital like, room. Like no, I'm saying like no. if they're going to the room right. to like the the operating and they room, have to move. And they yeah. have to move. That's yeah. the only acceptable time to do that. If you're just like And if in it's an emergency room, because now they have those automatic CPR things that they do that when they transport people. Yes. So this I mean like yeah. that was absolutely uncalled for I mean, this, and yeah, not necessary and disgusting. Nineties. Yeah. The person Isn't that live? awful? I, I would have cringed the fuck. Like I would have been like, you know what? Get off me! I don't even want to live. And they like, just you're made out on that. top of his that body. Oh my like God, that is so fucking gross. yeah. Well, how absolutely. disrespectful! She's too. so gross. How disrespectful to that person. So during this time, clearly Kristen's need for attention is only growing. Yeah, and even more so was her need to keep James's interest in her. So Kristen continued to create attention. Through the means of her patients, Mm -hmm. clearly, right? So for the next three years, deaths had nearly tripled than the previous three years of her not working there. And no one's noticing this, like, sudden change in demographics or statistics? Coinciding with this, other physicians are noticing that there is a decreased amount of epinephrine around the facility. Just an epi shortage. <laughs> Just a shortage. They're like, man, I swear there was like at least five vials in here. Oh, well. So. <laughs> <laughs> like croaking over here. <laughs> so. so. Oh my God, I want to listen to that so bad. <laughs> I'm st- it's worth it to stop for that. Okay, we just listened back to that. I had to stop to listen to that, and it's so much worse than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. You sound like an old man. (laughs) (laughs) My my last breath. Deathbed (laughs) confession. (laughs) God. Anyways, sorry about that. It's allergy season. (laughs) Shit. Continue. (sighs) So. (laughs) In early 1994. God, I can't even. Hold on. I feel like my voice is shaky just from laughing. Yeah. In 1994, a patient's breathing apparatus had been removed. I say what? His breathing apparatus had been removed. Kristen happened to be the first one on the scene, saving the patient's life. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> this is actually the first known case of evidentiary value. I wonder how it was removed. <laughs> well, I guess somebody saw her go in there. Um, That she likely had a hand in it. Like, this is the first time that... She was witnessed going in there, and then something happened. Yeah. So this triggered, this actually triggered an official, well, an unofficial watchful eye over the ward that she was working in by doctors and nurses. Okay, so she didn't know. No, they didn't. She didn't know that other people were kind of catching on. But it was kind of like a rumor, kind of, like where they started pretty much just watching her closely. They're like, this seems like more of just a coincidence, like, let's... Maybe keep an eye out just to, like, see if there's any other coincidences. Right. And then we'll... Or coincidai. What's the plural of coincidences? Coincidences. Coincidai. Sounds cooler. Anyways. Like octopi. Octopi. Later in that same year, in 1994, Glenn had begun to become mysteriously ill. Okay, and he doesn't know about the affair, right? No, not at this point. Okay. (laughs) 
So a concerned Kristen took him to the emergency room. Oh, he and went, just struck ill. Yes, he just, oh, he got the vapors and he had to, she had to take him down to the emergency room. So I'm sorry, really quick. It's reminds me of Family Guy when he's like, like when he, when Lois wants Peter to go with her family for something mm-hmm. and he's like, but he like made plans with the guys instead and he like ran in the stairs. He goes, Lois. He calls her. He's like, I'm afraid on my way upstairs to change. I struck ill. He's like, I won't be attending. <laughs> exactly. I struck ill. He struck ill. <laughs> so a concerned Kristen, like I said, took him to the emergency room. And so after a few tests, doctors had come back and told Glenn that he was deficient in potassium and in glucose. And okay. one of the symptoms he, w- he was having while he was sick was that he seemed to be using the bathroom a lot. Like a lot, a okay. lot. Like abnormal. A lot of diarrhea and urination like all the time he thought that he might have diabetes because it was so frequent Mm -hmm. so i i did a little bit of a research into this so we could maybe get a glimpse into what some of the symptoms he might have been experiencing were Mm -hmm. so low potassium levels can actually make you feel really weak in your muscles you can get muscle cramps and twitches as well and you can even become paralyzed Ow. So it's got to be like, I mean, imagine the worst Charlie horse you've ever had in your yeah. life, but that's in your body, like your arms and everything. Ouch. So um, it can actually actually cause abnormal heart rhythms as well. Low glucose levels will actually feel same kind of the same kind of symptoms, which are weakness in your muscles. You can actually get lightheaded and dizzy as well. So clearly Glenn knew like something wasn't right. Like yeah. his body was like fighting against him at this point. Yeah. So he had become suspicious, and he started thinking, like, maybe Kristen is poisoning my food. Okay. I mean, there has to be a reason why his mind went straight to that. Instead of, like, I'm ill, like, I'm getting, I have cancer, or whatever, like, Well, and it was because he was kind of going in and out of the hospital as well after this point. So this isn't, like, right after that hospital visit. I should have said that earlier, but he was going in and out of the hospital. So it would be, like, he would decline he'd go to the hospital stay for a few days feel better come back home a week later get sick again go to the the correlation was home right like something was happening at home and whether whether he actually knew that or not he was making comments to friends and family about her wanting him dead before thanksgiving because this was in november of that year and he would joke to friends and family and say like oh she probably just wants me dead before before thanksgiving like, I don't know why he would joke about that, but again, yeah, he believes in the sanctity of marriage. <laughs> okay. He believes in the sanctity of marriage. He's Weird. not going to leave her. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah. So, um, on another one of Glenn's forced episodes of illness, he was admitted again into a civilian hospital. And at some point during this visit, Kristen told her husband that because of her own expertise and she believed in the hospital that she worked at, that she would like to take a blood sample for herself and go have it tested. So while they're in the hospital room, Kristen takes out a syringe, and as she's getting closer to Glenn, he notices that there's a clear liquid already inside the syringe. Oh my god, that is so terrifying. So when he asked, what is in that syringe... She simply said that it was saline solution, and when injected, Glenn described the pain as cold and paralyzing. Okay, you don't inject saline solution into somebody and then use that same needle to draw blood. That's not how that works. This is his wife. He trusts her. (laughs) Why? (laughs) So when he tried to pull back, she actually pinned him down to give him to administer the rest of the shot. I had no idea about any of this. Oh my God. Okay, keep going. So, yeah. What was it? Later, it was determined that Kristen had been 
trying to poison him with a diuretic drug. So basically trying to expel everything out of his body. And he's like he minerals, vitamins, everything. What? Did he survive? So <laughs> let me I'll we're gonna get to that. Okay. Kristen had actually begun telling James around this time that Glenn was physically and verbally abusive to her. All right, bye. So again, making her look like a noble ass victim. Woe is me. Yeah. So in response to this accusation, James pretty much went, instead of giving his, like, sympathy and empathy and understanding and try to coddle her, he said, well, if he's abusive to you, you need to leave. Yeah. And if you're not going to leave, I'm going to leave. Yeah. So. Good for him. I mean, he's not really going great thus far because she knows, he knows she's married, but still good for him for saying that. So unbeknownst to both James and Glenn, this decision would actually save Glenn's life because Kristen did leave. Wow. Right? Wow. So, yeah, I mean, like, he he has no idea that, like, his wife is having affair, an affair, let alone the man that she's having an affair with. Pretty much, I mean, saves his life. Like, wow. Isn't that incredible? How, like, imagine, I mean, he obviously found that out they later. They should get married. Right? <laughs> James and Glenn, 2021. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, in December of 94, Kristen left Glenn and her two children. I mean, honestly, they're probably, probably better, better, off. better off. So, she moved into her own apartment and she eventually filed for divorce. So, bye, Glenn. She's going to keep your last name, though, Glenn. It's going to be Kristen Gilbert. Ugh. So, in the same month, Chris- Kristen had offered another co-worker who was, they were just, you know, whatever, on their work shift. Her co-worker had mentioned that she felt like she was having an asthma flare-up. Okay. And Kristen dug into her coat pocket and pulled out a vial of epinephrine and said, I could give you some if you want. Why does she just have that in her coat pocket? Exactly. That's not what doctors and this is, do. This is kind of like people started noticing that epinephrine was kind of a thing yeah. or whatever, but it still wasn't completely linked at the time okay. that this was a problem. But the nurse was also like, okay, like, why does this bitch have a bottle of epinephrine? Yeah, it's not like it's a bottle of ibuprofen. Like, It wasn't something that regularly occurred that you needed epinephrine. Like, it yeah. really wasn't a thing where they were at in this specific area of the hospital. So, for those of you who don't know what epinephrine is, epinephrine is a drug used to increase um, your heart rate, and these, basically, they're like pure adrenaline shots. Yeah, it's they're like adrenaline, f- yeah. that's what I was going to say. They're for people that are already in cardiac arrest, and it's to usually create that, that um, like, if you have a really low heart rate mm-hmm. or somebody who's dying, it's uh, it pretty much a last resort. But what's interesting about it is that in large quantities, it, it can actually cause the thing it's meant to prevent. Yeah. And you, yeah. Can, you can actually uh, inject epinephrine straight into the heart when you have, like, open heart surgery. Mm. It's, like, it's, like, as long as it's, like, a small enough dosage. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, but it's, like, uh, like if CPR isn't working and the paddles aren't working, it's, like, yeah. another thing. But it also is, in, it's part of the drug included in, like, like, they call an EpiPen. Like, mm-hmm. if you have an anaphylactic reaction to, like, if you're allergic to peanuts or if you're allergic to latex or something and you yeah. get a flare-up or the asthma, mm-hmm. you can also use it to treat that. Interesting. I took a CPR class recently for work. 
Mm-hmm. I, I got it renewed for the third time, but uh, I asked. I asked because you know people have epipens, like I said, that are for they carry on them all the time in case of an anaphylactic reaction. Yeah. Um, and I asked if they were universal. Like if I was allergic to peanuts and you were allergic to latex and I had a flare up, but you only had your pen on me, like mm-hmm. on you, could I use it? The mm-hmm. answer is yes. Hmm. So if you find yourself in a situation where you only have one person's EpiPen and another person needs it. You can use it. Interesting. And if okay. it doesn't work, it's not going to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true. I that was interesting. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, pretty much say what we're all thinking here, right? Kristen has been administering epinephrine to patients in order to garner attention. Yeah. And then she's saving the day when they do a code blue and she starts CPR and Absolutely. brings them back or doesn't. Yeah. And just and like then, James said, it's yeah. thoroughly impressive. So yeah. she loves that. And she knows just as, she literally knows, like, just as much CPR to do Mm -hmm. in order to, like, not save them. Like, that sounds bad. So, I'm going to go ahead and, although many people suffered at the hands of Kristen Gilbert, I'm going to give you the- charge for? Yes. I'm going to give you the four patients that she has actually been charged for. Okay. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do this now because I'm going to do it in chronological order um, from when the story began. Okay. But we'll get to her- Pretty much what would be her trial or her court process in a bit. Because it gets way weird. So I also want to want everybody to keep in mind that... and Because uh, a lot of people are going to be like, why? Like, how did she get away with all of this, right? Apparently at this center, they don't keep track of their medications. Like, there was no proper procedure to check out a medication for a specific parent, a patient. Well, this was the 80s, too, so... Well, it's that- the ni- this is the mid-90s now. It's not like it's... It's not like it's the fucking 30s. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I'm just, again, I'm going to talk about who would be named as the victims that she was charged for. Okay. So in August of 95, Stanley Jagodowski, who was in his 60s at the time, he was admitted into the VAMC with a bowel obstruction, and he was in stable condition. Okay. He was even noted to have an extremely healthy heart for his age, and Stanley was actually a truck driver at this time, but he had served in the Army in the Korean War. Bell obstructions can be scary, but it seems like they get yeah, under control. You know? totally, yep. And um, I actually watched a documentary where it was the first account, like, the first person account from the doctor who actually was a part of these specific mm. cases. Okay. So it's a first-hand account. He's, like, absolutely this guy, like, yeah, you, like I said, it can be scary, but he was in stable condition. He was completely fine when I left him. Yeah. And how old was he? He was in his 60s. I think, okay. like, mid-60s. After lab results came back, Stanley was to be on oral medication only. Okay. So that's a very important fact. Yeah, because he doesn't have an IV set up. Oh, he probably does, but not for medicine. Right. Just for healing. So Kristen was actually witnessed by another doctor going into the room with a syringe, like, in her hand. Um, yeah, that's, like, sketch 101. When he's only supposed to have oral medication. Yeah. Like, everybody knows that, that, right? So it would be later revealed that Kristen, for some of her patients, she would actually do an IV, quote-unquote, IV flush. Okay. Which I'm not entirely sure what that is. I think it's probably... Either way, she was injecting it into the IV. It sounds to me like maybe you flush, like, a bunch of saline through the IV in order to clean it out, like, and clean out, like, the excess medication Mm -hmm. that you might not have gotten in your body. And she was putting the shit in there. sounds dangerous, though. Yeah. It really does. So anyways, Kristen had gone into Stanley's room and another nurse would later testify that as she passed by the room, she heard Stanley yell out, ow, ow, stop, you're killing me. Oh my God, that's so scary. My voice got cracky again. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh 
it's okay. That's terrifying. And yeah. she didn't, the nurse didn't stop? Well, okay. So, again, I thought about that, too. I was like, well, I mean... But how often do they hear that? That's because true. somebody's in pain. That's true. Or they don't like shots. Or, or they, they don't don't like IVs. Yeah, exactly. Drawn. Okay. So she didn't think anything of it. However, yeah, I can see it. Fifteen minutes later, Mr. Jadowski went into cardiac arrest, and he died later that night. That's so awful. In December 1995, a patient by the name of Henry Houdon had fallen under the care of Kristen. Mm. Henry was actually 35 years old. He served in the Air Force and was uh, actually an assistant physical, like a, like a physical therapist. Okay. And this is while he served in the Air Force. So while serving, Henry had actually sustained a head injury of some kind. I couldn't, it didn't specify what, but he was later diagnosed with schizophrenia. Wow. So it was probably a pretty traumatic brain injury that he had suffered. He'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yeah. So other than this, um, other than this thing that happened while he was in the Air Force, Henry was completely healthy. He was an extremely healthy 35-year-old. So Henry was actually originally admitted with the flu. And where he was going on, like where he was living locally, it was almost like a pandemic. It was really, really bad and it was mm-hmm. killing people. So in order to get ahead of it, he, his family suggested, you should probably go to the hospital just to be sure. Okay. To be safe, you can quarantine, you can get all the medicine, oh, all the medicine you need I and all this stuff. I felt so bad later. Huh? I bet they felt so bad later. His sister was the one that I watched on the documentary and she was one of the people that said, like, I oh. told him you should go to the hospital. It's awful. So, again, Henry was completely stable during the day of his visit, but within an hour of him showing up, he had suffered a cardiac arrest. Within an hour. And people just believed that, like, well, I guess not, because she got put on trial for it, but at 35? You don't have a heart attack at 35. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So a code was called, um, and then with the help of other doctors and nurses, Henry was actually revived. He was brought back to life. Okay. So he was in stable condition, all this stuff. And again, a doctor testified that he had, uh, after they had stabilized him and everything, he had a conversation with Kristen afterwards. And he said, man, what a relief. You know, this guy is so young. And she said, I wouldn't be so happy. He's schizophrenic. What? Like she thought that she could kill him because he's schizophrenic. And she was basically doing him a favor. What a bitch. And he said that he was appalled by this. But at this time, like doesn't mean that he was suspicious of her trying to harm him. Oh, my she, God. He just thought that this nurse was just a bitch. That really sucks. I mean, especially in the 90s, the stigma around schizophrenia, I mean, even today. Yeah. Is absolutely. very bad in the 90s, you know. It's horrible. And he's That's 35. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I'm pretty sure at some point in your life, you could treat it. Like, I feel like it's yeah. a treatable condition. It's definitely it's not, not like curable. It's, yeah. You can definitely manage it. So, unfortunately, um, Henry would go on to have three more cardiac arrests in the span of six hours. This poor man was killed, pretty much, and brought back to life, like, five times. Well, three. Three or four. That is awful. So, each time he came came back, like I said, except for the last one. And, you know, Kristen's over here, like, meh, every time he gets brought back. Like, she was determined. That's the way I feel. I feel like she took it as a challenge. Yeah. She's like, no, this guy's gonna die. Like, I'm gonna kill this guy. God, that's so awful. You'd think that she would, like, snap out of it after some point, you know? So both the family um, and other coworkers of Kristen simply thought that maybe it was a medication mix-up. That's what the family was told. Mm -hmm. That's what the family believed. They did not think that there was anything else that 
there was they didn't have any reason to believe that it was a suspicious thing. They thought that it was a medication mix up, and they didn't pursue it. I would still pursue it if it was for a malpractice. That's what I would have done. Yeah, I mean, not to say that they did anything wrong, but yeah. So Kenneth Cutting was an army veteran, and he was forty-one years of age when he was admitted to the center for sepsis. He had lost his eyesight and the mobility of most of his extremities. Oh my god! Just through things that I mean, it didn't really specify, but it was other other illnesses that he had had yeah. previously. So Kenneth was a like other than those issues, Kenneth was a healthy husband and father. Mm-hmm. Kristen was anxious to leave work that day. And uh, she had made plans with James to mm-hmm. go out on a date that night. Um, she had passed by the nurse's station to ask her boss that if, uh, quote, if my patient were to die, leaving me with no further responsibilities for the night, would I be allowed to go home? No, she fucking did not. The boss and what answered. Did they say? <laughs> the boss answered, well, yeah, if you have no responsibilities, you can go home. Within I a would... few hours, Kenneth had died. If I was that boss, was I'd be like, why are you asking me that? Are you trying to kill your patient? Right. Like, sorry, but like... I know. Well, that's the thing is like, it seems like it's right in front of everyone's face. That, and that's so matter of fact. That's like me being like, so if my table doesn't show up... But that doesn't mean you're going to go murder them. No, I'm saying, or you know what? If my table leaves somehow, if they just leave early... Can I go home? That, but I'm saying... Then you go over to the table and you're like, hey, could you guys fuck off? No, not even... Okay. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but what I'm saying is like innocently, like, yeah. oh, if my table decides to get out of here early, like, can I leave? Like, I'm yeah. not going to do anything to cause them leaving. Right. But that's like a nonchalant, matter of fact question. But like, and, but if, she's asking if it about he were murder. To die. Yeah. So hypothetically speaking, Pretty if much. my patient died, can I leave? Would I leave? Yeah. I would be like, no, you're staying here all night. She'd probably kill everyone in the fucking right. hospital. That's that- what I would have said. I'd be like, just because somebody dies doesn't mean that there's not something to do. It's not a fucking celebration. You have time Kristen. to lean. You got time to clean. Like. Ew. Oh my god. I don't know what I would say if someone asked me that question. I'd be like, are you fucking mad? Like... (laughs) Edward Skier was in his 60s and was a World War II veteran. He was admitted to the center originally from actually suffering a seizure from experiencing delirium tremens, which Mm -hmm. are also known as DTs, but it happens with alcohol withdrawals. Okay. And um, it can cause, like, shaking, confusion, and, like, in bad situations, like, bad cases it can cause hallucinations as well and when was this i think this was early 96 okay so it's actually like i said brought on by alcohol withdrawals and causes shaking all that other stuff mm-hmm. most of the time it's not fatal but it does depend on the severity of your withdrawal yeah. symptoms so treatment is typically just some kind of mild sedative like valium okay. and then the rest of the the care is basically just like symptom control so like yeah just like t- letting it like kind of pass yeah so like when you're hot you know what I mean? Like, get a fan, or, you know, if you're cold, mm-hmm. you know, it's like having fevers, hot flashes, cold flashes, things like that. Well, it's like withdraws from any drug. Like, literally, you kind of have to just wait yeah. it out. And you wait it out, symptoms. yeah, and you can only treat the pain, really. So, later that night, Edward did, unfortunately, suffer a heart attack. This is completely not linked to a seizure, because when you have a seizure, it is your brain. It is not your heart. Mm-hmm. Your brain does not tell your heart to shut down. Mm-hmm. It is basically just... Again, it you, you might need respiratory help with your lungs, mm-hmm. but other than that, it's very, very unlikely that a ca- heart attack can be caused by a seizure. Yeah, so they're sitting there thinking that she caused the cardiac arrest as right. well. Right. Mm-hmm. So by this point, of course, even patients have begun to see a pattern. 
So much like so, patients that have been there for a long time. So much so that when new people were getting admitted, and if any, if they could talk to any of the patients that have been there for a while, they would basically warn the the people. Like they would switch off of first service. Yeah. Oh my god, that's it was so that bad. Scary. So once, and I don't know how. This is something that I read, and I don't know if it's true because it sounds like one of those donkey lady stories. But yeah. Once a man had told her bosses, Kristen's bosses. People are dying around here. Patients know about it and staff knows about it. People talk about it, but no one's really saying anything at all. Yeah. it's. I mean, it seems that way. It seems like everyone's just kind of like looking the other way, Mm -hmm. except for like the patients. Yeah. And the staff is like, well, we don't really have a lot of information about this. Let's just let it slide. Like people are actively dying. For sure. So this patient was actually dismissed as being, quote, crazy. And later that evening, he died of a heart attack. <gasps> Not even kidding. Oh my god, I just got goosebumps. Ew, <laughs> what? I told you, it might be, I don't, it didn't say who, it didn't say specifically. It just said that this was an account that somebody had had. I don't know, but it's terrifying. So he was, like, really like she was onto her and out trying people. to, like, get her, like, caught. And she, yeah. got, she got his ass instead. Like Dexter. Like, you're on my ass, I'm going to find a reason to murder you. That is so scary. So as suspicions grew, unbeknownst to Kristen, her fellow staff members had actually been collecting evidence to use against her. Oh, I forgot about that. They were trying to be silent. (laughs) That what? I was like, they were trying to be, like, sneaky. I was like, why is anybody doing anything? I was like, oh, wait, they (laughs) they are. They're just not mentioning it. Yeah, of course, yeah. So unbeknownst to Kristen, for a while, her, her fellow staff members had been collecting evidence that would later be used in court. So a nurse had actually watched Kristen for an entire day during her shift, And she had been using a very specific biohazard box that day. And inside the box, after Kristen left her shift, inside the box, the nurse found three vials of epinephrine in the biohazard box. A vial of epinephrine is a lot. Yeah, three. A vial, yeah. Yeah, like, like, I I mean, they're they're called something else, not just vials, but they're called something. Well, yeah, like the syringe full or whatever, but... That's a lot, though. Like, you don't need an entire, like, an entire one per Yeah, like, I'm person. I'm thinking they're probably only about, like, two-ounce bottles. Yeah. But still, that's six ounces of epinephrine. But you only need, like, 0.10 milligrams per, like, right. cardiac arrest exactly. event or exactly. So whatever. there's three of them. Now, what was really interesting about this is that I told you earlier that not a lot of epinephrine is ever used in this ward, yeah. specifically. And a, what was interesting about these vials of epinephrine is that they are a grade of potency that would never be on this floor. So she was taking them from elsewhere. From another part of the hospital and then using them on that ward. But didn't like, you say that the epinephrine shortage was coming, was coming from that ward? No, or just, just in, in the general? hospital okay, in general. Okay. Yeah. But they never so, linked it but to I, her that's, weird... Again, they never linked because they probably didn't talk all, yeah. that, all that, you know, much or whatever uh, from the different wards. But yeah, so that specific potency is like highly only used in highly, you know, high emergency situations. Yeah, like trauma, like the trauma unit or right. like the, I don't know, like whatever, right. the, the operating room wing of the... So that was definitely suspicious. So the nurse definitely came forward with her suspicions to investigators, right? Or to police. Mm-hmm. February 29th, 1996. Yes, I meant to say February 29th. It was a leap year. <laughs> the formal investigation was open. A formal investigation was opened into the supposed murders that were happening. So first investigators went through her work schedule and began to correlate her shifts and the spikes in death. So whenever she would move to day shift, it would happen in the day shift. Night shift, it happened in night shift. The deaths literally followed her. You could see yeah. it. There was a she's pattern. she's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah, it really seemed like it wasn't that hard of a connection. 
So police did the math on these, uh, and they concluded that 350 patients' deaths between 1989 and... In 1996, Kristen was on duty for half of those. Oh, my God. For 350. That's an outrageous number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On- honestly, though, like, this kind of bums me out because, like, the amount of time that these, like, investigators are taking and, like, the staff is taking to, like, keep tabs on her. Like, she's actively killing people at this time. So they're right. like, all right, let's sit around and wait and wait see for her if to she kill kills someone. this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, she killed the guy. Let's yeah. go tell the investigators. <laughs> like, come on. I would run into the room if I knew that she went in there with the epi and be like, hey, like, stop. You know? So authorities actually ruled out the possibility of a coincidence as being one in 100 million. Oh my god. You got her. So in the paperwork citing emergency situations, 75% of emergency codes during this time that required intervention intervention were signed by Kristen. 75%. She's just calling code blue she just, all the time. She oh my stays she calling care. code blue. Cold blue she was cold blue. furthermore she was actually present in eight out of 11 reported fires <laughs> what <laughs> i know we don't talk about the fires at all but that's that's <laughs> highly sus with a lighter. <laughs> that's just highly sus she's just starting fires literally oh my God. she's a jane of and all socially trades. yeah so actually another report would come out saying that Kristen herself was treated more than 20 times in the hospital for apparent self-inflicted wounds, quote unquote. Okay. So in another portion of the hospital, she was admitting herself, saying that she was killing herself, like trying to kill herself over 20 times. What a narcissistic bitch. Yeah. Just I'm to sorry. garner attention from another yeah. side of the hospital. I need everyone in this place to, yeah. like, to pay attention to me. Right. At this point, James is beginning to really pay attention to all of these alleged rumors about his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And as the invest- investigation starts to rev up more and more, he decides to end things with Kristen. Smart man. We've all gotten to know Kristen just a little bit, right? She's not having it. She's not having that. So Kristen attempts suicide soon after James ends their affair by overdosing. She actually attempted, or does she, like, pretend? It didn't. I don't... I don't know. She could have just said that. Um, But either way, this attempt was unsuccessful, and she was actually admitted into a psychiatric facility. Okay, good. Finally. Where she needs to be. Finally. So James is the first to kind of, like, feed into this manipulation. Mm. He's like, oh no, like Kristen, she she's so distraught over me and every all these allegations, all this stuff. She's he's so concerned that he calls Glenn. Okay. And he's like, I'm so concerned for her well being, all this sort of stuff. Like, you know, we need to we need to make sure that she has our support and all this sort of shit, right? And Glenn's like, new Glenn's phone like, bro, I dodged that bullet. Yeah, he's like, yeah. wrong number, bye. <laughs> new phone, who does? So while in the psychiatric facility, Kristen actually calls James to confess to her crimes. Okay. Purportedly, right? She says, quote, you know I did it. I did it. I just wanted you to know that I killed those guys. Okay. So and- I'm not entirely sure why. Like, maybe I think that... Okay, it's a few things. Either she wants the attention, clearly, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind of her thing. She might also be like, you know, don't leave me. I trust you enough to tell you this big secret. Maybe if he loves me enough, he'll, you know, want to be with me or feel bad for me or whatever. Like, and I don't, I don't know exactly what she said before or after this. Of course, we don't have, we don't have it recorded, 
But I'm thinking that maybe she thought that James would support her and maybe, like, wanted the love to be reciprocated. Like I said, like, you, I love you enough to tell you something deep about myself. Well, maybe, And then yeah. maybe he would think, like, wow, what a grand gesture, you know, like. I'm thinking yeah. maybe she's, like, stuck in the psych ward and she's like, God, this place sucks. Maybe if I confess, they'll take me to jail instead. Like, I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe that's yeah. another thing. That's what I was thinking. Either way, whenever she was released from the facility, she immediately went to James's apartment, broke in in the middle of the night, woke him up, and pleaded with him not to testify against her. What? Yeah. And he's like, Wah. what are you? Who are you? Get out of my Get apartment. Get the fuck out of my apartment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Anyways, James, who, honestly, I don't think that he knew about any of this. I think he does have, like, a solid head on his shoulders. Yeah, I agree. He did the right thing by telling investigators immediately and then got a restraining order on her ass. So, on, yeah. yeah. So, shortly after this, she attempts suicide again, and yet again, she ends up into a facility. As a last-ditch effort to garner some type of attention from any man in her life, she, she, um... And knowing she had a restraining order, you know, from James against her, she tried to get Glenn to come back into her life. Okay. So she did the same thing. She called him and she pretty much, yes or no, kind of willed her way into giving a confession to Glenn. So why hasn't she been arrested yet? Like, if I'm, she's I'm pretty sure this confessing. is all within the span of a week. I'm not oh, even okay. lying. Like, when she, when he broke up with her, she went to psychiatric, she got out, the break-in, back into psychiatric, all this sort of stuff. So, it's not that investigators aren't doing anything. Yeah. It's just so quick. Yeah. But it's, yeah. And all of these things, I mean, she only worked for this facility for three years. Okay. I mean, it's not a lot of time. And then she had babies in between those years. Yeah. So, it's, again, she wasn't at work a lot. You know, mm. I mean, if she has six weeks for one baby, six weeks for another or whatever, however long her maternity leave was. But yeah. So Glenn, who had been cooperative with police, didn't didn't want anything to do with Kristen at this point. Um, this actually led Kristen to showing up on Glenn's doorstep one day. And when he answered the door, she tried to stab him with her keys. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is also after she vandalized both her his and James's cars. So she's just like going around bashing she's Going off the wall. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So out of desperation at this point, Kristen doesn't know what to do because James has a restraining order against her. Glenn is ignoring her. She knows that these people are cooperating with police officers yeah. at this point. She actually um, purchased... I put a toy voice changer here, but I want <laughs> I want all of my friends and anybody who's older than me to, to appreciate this. She bought a talk boy. Okay. I know what that is. You do? Yes. From Home Alone. Yeah, well, no, in general. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we had one, didn't we? No. I, not, we never had one. I was always so jealous. They had a talk boy and a talk girl, and I wanted the talk girl because it was, like, purple. Okay. It was really cute. Anyways, she bought a talk boy, and um, <laughs> I literally put in my notes, I always wanted one. Anyways. <laughs> when, <laughs> so she actually called the VAMC and asked to speak with James through this voice changer, right? Like, this talk boy. What did she change her voice to? <laughs> like a really low, like, hello. So when he answered Kristen, who is now apparently posing as a man. Chris. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> she said there's going to be three bombs that are going to go off in one of the wings of the hospital and to evacuate the oh hospital. Oh, my gosh. No fucking joke. How, like, out there, like, outrageous is that? I That's, like... Okay, my boyfriend isn't talking... My ex-boyfriend isn't talking to me anymore. He has a restraining order against me. Oh, I've got it. Bomb threat. 
Yeah. Like, why, you why, need, she why? needs the attention. That's why. So this specific word that she was talking about, bo- quote unquote, bombing, actually housed elderly and disabled people. Oh, that's so messed so up. So it's probably like, it's not able-bodied people that are able that to do this. That can just run out And she said building. she was going to give them two hours, but still, like, to evacuate an entire wing of a hospital. That's so awful. It is awful. So it's just, like, it just shows, like, how much pleasure she gets out of other people's pain. Like, and, yeah. and how she's just, like, she feels like she's Moses parting the Red Sea. Like, <sighs> you know, like, she's that powerful. Yeah. Ew, that's so fucking yeah. narcissistic. So what's interesting about all of this is that, um, unbeknownst to her at the time, she was actually under surveillance. These investigators, we can see you talking into the talk into the talk boy. We're actively at a payphone. At a (laughs) payphone. No fucking joke. That is James was immediately like, "It's Kristen." Like I know it's Kristen, and they're like, "Oh yeah, actually, we're with her right now. We can see you." He has, like, a three-way call it's with the ridiculous. It's ridiculous. What a dummy. Dummy. Idiot. So, so, of course, you know, when through further investigation, eventually they got, like, an actual call trace thing to prove that it was her, but they knew it was her. That's so funny. They watched her do it. So investigators actually got a search warrant for Kristen's house or her parents' house because, again, she was in and out of psychiatric treatment, so mm-hmm. she couldn't really maintain an apartment at that point. But she's all like, she answers the door and she's like, oh yeah, sure. Uh, search everything. I have nothing to hide. Because it's not your house. <laughs> no, because she's an idiot. So she, so inside the the house, police found medical journals with like literally epinephrine like circled and like researched and highlighted in multiple books. So of course, like they're like, oh well, you know, well just because she circled epinephrine doesn't mean she administered epinephrine to anyone, right? I mean, it is circumstantial, but still, yeah, it's compelling. Course. They found the talk boy <laughs> <laughs> with a setting to man. <laughs> with the setting to man. <laughs> non suspicious male, <laughs> not Kristen Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, cut <laughs> with a setting to man. <laughs> I love that. Oh, shit. Just just man in general. Man. So there's actually a notebook that contained um, interrogation tactics and a list of people who were potential witnesses to her crimes. Was she just going to, like, kill them all? Well, okay, so here's the thing, is that it kind of implied the intentions of intimidating a witness, like, you have every intention to do what you've done to James and to Glenn and, like, the way that oh, he, she's harassed people yeah. and do that to people that she worked with. How long was the list? I don't know. Jesus. It was a it was a hefty list, apparently, it though. It had to have been. Well, because later we would find out that there's actually over 70 witnesses. Oh, my god. To potential crimes. Along with this, again, list of potential witnesses, the notebook also contained various suicide notes and multiple drafts of various suicide notes. She just had them ready to rip out and leave. Exactly. Exactly. That's so calculated. It's like sickening. Yeah, absolutely. And it was every, every suicide note had a different, like wild, like scenario. (laughs) Yeah. It was just in case. So Kristen was actually arrested on federal charges for the false bomb threat. You forget it's in a hospital. Hell yeah. It's federal. Get her ass. Right. Get her. 
1998, almost two years later after the false bomb threat, Kristen was actually found guilty and served 15 months in federal prison. She hasn't been tried for the murders yet? No. Okay. So it was actually, um, and there's a reason for that, and I'll tell you in just a second. She was also ordered to have psychiatric treatment and was found to, at this point, to be suffering from borderline personality disorder or antisocial oh, personality wow, disorder. Oh, wow, that's a shocker to me. I couldn't have told you that. I know, right? First, like the first five minutes of the episode. <laughs> so while serving her sentence and, of course, needing a little bit more evidence mm-hmm. against her for the murders, um, they actually exhumed the body of all four victims. Okay. To try that, to... Well, I would say, yeah. like, good on the the family of the victims for giving them permission to do so of course, because yeah. that's really helpful in a in a case like this. Well, what was really interesting is that um, Henry Houdon's sister had said, you know, that they had just believed that it was just a medication mix-up. Yeah. And when she was approached by investigators, she was legitimately shocked. She was like, yeah. wow, like, I didn't know that this was bigger than just my brother. Imagine, you know? like, finding that out. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so awful. So, again, the bodies were exhumed, and um, through toxicology reports, they they did determine that they were positive for excessive, excessive amounts of epinephrine. Wow. Clearly. So, Kristen, at age 30... Was indicted She's only on murder. Thirty. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. When I at the beginning of this episode, it was like it's going to be pretty shocking because yeah. it's she's not an old lady. You yeah. know, she's she, she, this isn't a this isn't a lifelong career like some some people we may cover. Yeah. You know, this is something that happened over the span of a few years. So yeah, again, age thirty, she was indicted on murder charges for all four men and also on three counts of attempted murder, which from okay. three other people that they could okay. actually prove. What was not included in these charges are the presumed 350 murder victims and over 300 attempted murders throughout her seven-year career. Yeah, like as that's a nurse. wild that she has she could potentially be responsible that's for that every many day. That makes her multiple one, times a day. If that's true, which I believe that it is, that makes her one of the most notorious uh, serial killers in the world. Yeah, that's absolutely, a shitload of victims. And this is again, like I said, it's presumed, and this is. More so because of those four men that they have, they're all within a few months, mm-hmm. and given as many shifts or as many potential deaths or as many cardiac arrests that were recorded, that's what they're saying. Exactly. Because again, when you when we heard that number earlier, three hundred and fifty, it said at least at least half of that were on her shift or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. during the time that she was working. What about all the times that other people were working mm-hmm. or other people were in control of these patients or whatever it is? She might have signed off on a lot of those documents, but how many did she create and just walk away from? Yeah, exactly. And that there is no paper trail. Exactly. That's like multiple victims a day or a shift. That, I, I mean, she's just going to like, oh, you know, a, a number three, number four, number five, like literally. literally just walking down the hall doing this. Like, this is insane. How freaking cold of a person do you have to be? Yeah. So with over 70 witnesses and 200 pieces of evidence taken into account, the caseload was huge, of course. But because of the crimes that were committed um, on federal property, the option for the death penalty was on the table. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, dummy, because she called in a bomb threat to a federal building and then committed these murders in a federal building. And they're veterans. Like, come on. You took a freaking oath. Yeah. The Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. That's the first thing on there. Right. That's all that you're doing. So it's actually, yeah, like we've, you know, we know that, but maybe not a lot of people know that it's incredibly rare for a woman to get the death penalty. Yes. What's kind of like coincidental or ironic about it is that if she were to be found guilty and sentenced to death, she would, it would be by lethal injection. Mm. 
Interesting, right? Yeah, that it goes is around, comes around. Incredibly ironic for a woman who lethally injected people as an MO. So Kristen pleaded not guilty. Of course she fucking did. Yeah. She would yeah, she didn't think that she did anything wrong. Like I think about the guy that was diagnosed schizophrenic. Like she thought that she was helping that guy. Yeah. She probably did. Well, she probably didn't think she was helping. I don't know. She's terrible. So during the trial, she was actually described as stoic, deadpan, and cold throughout the proceedings. Does not surprise me right. at all. So on March 14th, 2001, Kristen was found guilty on all charges. Good. Every single one. So four, uh, four murders and three attempted. So Glenn and Kristen's parents um, had actually pleaded with the court to allow Kristen to live because they were worried about glenn's kids own like psychological yeah things so like their well-being so which kind of makes sense i mean mean, yeah but she did leave when they were very young and it's i don't want to say it's easy but he could have you know taken the route of trying to shelter them from you know that's not that's not totally possible because he doesn't see them and doesn't have access to them 24 7 they're gonna go to school eventually they're gonna hear about these things right Another thing that a lot of people feel really strongly about, even jury members, members is especially when a, a defendant has children and they have been, you know, convicted of a murder and they might have the death penalty on the table, is that they're also robbing those children from ever getting to know that parent, like for the rest of forever. Yeah, but do they really want to, though? If well, they're... they may or may not, though, but, but that decision shouldn't be made for That's them true, is guess. the way that some people feel. I guess. So she was given four life sentences without the possibility of parole, plus 20 more years for the attempted. Four life sentences. Four life sentences without parole. Yeah. So, of course, Kristen tried to appeal her conviction. (laughs) Don't they all? Well, what's interesting is that, um, so she still, even to this day, claims that she's innocent. However, if she were to appeal and they were able to find her guilty again, which they would. Yeah the death penalty would be on the table again. Therefore, she has not ever filed an appeal. Yeah, because she's, like, scared shitless. Well, uh, that just, that admits... And it shows that that she knows she's guilty. guilty. Yeah. Yeah. That totally shows her guilt. Like, she knows that she's going to get convicted again. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, that's Kristen Gilbert. That is a truly tragic story. And the fact that she was able to have access to that many patients and ultimately end all of their lives is, is... terrible it is terrible especially veterans people who have survived wars yeah people that know when they go over there there the other person is at least they know that this person's trying to kill them yeah but you come in seeking help for a medical emergency or a medical issue and and, safe places that you can be yeah you know and so you think and again you're in a federal building like you are in a veteran hospital you think that you are going to get the best treatment. Yeah. You know, and so it's just really what is sad. her did she ever get actually diagnosed with anything or did she are we just speculating here? She currently resides in a prison in Fort Worth, Texas. She's still alive. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, how old is she? She well, she was convicted when she was thirty and that had to have been ninety eight. She's gotta be Oh she's fifty four. Oh she's fifty four. Fifty five. Oh, she's kinda ugly. Well she was really pretty back then. If you look at pictures of her, she's like blonde. I don't know. She probably, she's probably a pill popper. Well, that's like a really, like, thank you for sharing that. I knew a little bit about that case. I had Mm -hmm. no idea about the things with Glenn. Like, that's that's intense. Glenn, I just like, 
the entirety and this is all stuff i had to like find yeah, it wasn't like course. just on like wiki you know yeah. like you had to i had to really dig into and just kind of figure out like what that mindset might be like yeah anyway absolutely. so um but like i mentioned earlier that she had borderline personality disorder with antisocial um behaviors mm-hmm. borderline personality disorder is described as a mental disorder that's characterized by unstable moods behaviors and relationships mm-hmm. clearly yeah. she's hitting every single one of those so the cause of borderline personality disorder isn't really well understood at this point, um, but diagnosis is made through symptoms. So some of those symptoms are mm-hmm. emotional instability, feelings of worthlessness, insecurity, impulsivity, and impaired social relationships. Like, to a T, this is Kristen. So people yeah. might experience antisocial behavior, compulsive behaviors, hostility, impulsivity, Irritability, risk-taking behaviors, self-destructive behavior, self-harm, which she, again, Mm -hmm. had claimed to have done and eventually did do. Social isolation or lack of restraint. That, again, sounds like Kristen. The moods you might experience are going to be anger, anxiety, general discontent, guilt, loneliness, mood swings, or sadness. Mm -hmm. Um, Psychologically, you'll experience depression, distorted self-images, grandiosity, or narcissism. And, of course, also very common are thoughts of suicide. Grandiosity is, like, when you think, hi- like, more highly of yourself right. than everybody else. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm more important than right. you. Like, yeah. yeah. So treatment usually consists of some type of therapy, um, like talk therapy. In some cases, there are medications available. And uh, hospitalization, even if, like, if some symptoms are really severe. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the therapies you might seek would be cognitive behavioral therapies, anger management, dialectical behavior therapy, transference-focused psychotherapy, um, some other types of psychotherapy, and then schemia therapy. So, yeah. That's, like, super interesting. Borderline personality disorder is very hard to diagnose. Yeah. And borderline personality disorder is very unique because it's, like, you know right from wrong, but you don't care in some cases. And that's what can make people that are diagnosed with those illnesses or suffering from those illnesses very unpredictable and mm-hmm. very violent. Yeah. Uh, and then they seem seemingly have no remorse. Yeah. Wow. That's that was an intense case. It really is. Yeah. I w- I really wish that they could have charged her for all of the victims mm-hmm. that she you know unfortunately took lives from because you know I think everybody deserves to have that justice. Yeah. But um, I also understand the want to um like make sure you have concrete evidence and only kind of narrow down those charges in order to make sure that she goes away for good you know? right i feel like that is a pretty serious accusation and especially in a federal building knowing that it was likely going to end up in the conviction that it did yeah i'm sure these investigators wanted to make sure they had as much proof as possible absolutely and especially if they thought that they only had one chance to get it right yeah. you know absolutely well thanks for sharing for i sure. really hope that everybody is enjoying our content um i hope that we're being thorough enough in our research i think yeah. that we are so uh, if you have anything that you want to add mm-hmm. we're going to be working on getting that line of communication open pretty soon so mm-hmm. we'll let you know as soon as we have everything set up and yeah. maybe by the time you're watching this, we might. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so we'll let you know uh, about that. Mm-hmm. And we will be back. Um, I think we're going to try to start posting content on Thursdays. So mm-hmm. we'll post. Yeah, posting on Thursdays. So I'll mm-hmm. uh, be looking out for those new episodes on Thursdays. Yeah. And we will see you next time. Yeah, we're going to really try to stick to a, to a weekly schedule for you guys. So. All, All right. right. Well, until next time. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.